please open your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at some excerpts from Philippians 4 and then talk about them a little bit. Philippians 4, starting at verse 4, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, be by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then we jump down to verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And verse 19 says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So let's just examine that set of passages for a minute and apply it in our lives. First, we are exhorted to rejoice always in any circumstances. Why? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And he is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You see, the reason why we should rejoice always is because of that. Because you don't have any real problems. <laughs> I know you're thinking, hey, have you... Have you been to my house lately? Have you listened to some of the people I listen to regularly? Seriously, you're telling me I don't have any problems? I'm telling you that the Apostle Paul says you have no excuse for not rejoicing. You can't neglect to rejoice. Because whatever you face under any circumstances, no matter how bitter they might be, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus and an eternal home in his heavenly father and ours house. You have no longer been found guilty in the eyes of our creator. Therefore, whatever you face here on earth is superseded by that excellent good news. And so 
Uh, we were singing a hymn this morning at the first service that uh, basically said, whatever my circumstances, I love thee, Lord Jesus. And I said to the congregation then, as I will say to you now, you know the extent of your faith when you find yourself in difficult circumstances and yet I love thee, Lord Jesus, comes out of your mouth. You see, this is what Paul's trying to tell you. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. There are certain things that are beyond what you can see and comprehend that are far more significant in the eternal world and realm that already are in your favor. And so in your moment of greatest distress, rejoice in that. Psalm 22, three tells us that our God inhabits praise. It says, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, enthroned and inhabitation in the original languages mean the same thing in this case. In other words, the psalmist is telling us that when Israel prays and praises God, that he, he basically rests on that, that God descends and, and, and is present to it. In a very real sense, when you praise the Lord, especially in your most difficult circumstances, God becomes more present to you. God inhabits your praise. How would you deal with that in real life? I am tempted now, and I think I'm gonna give in to the temptation to give you a personal example. So I remember the night that my son Nathan was born. He was uh, our third child, fourth child, lost count. How many do we have now? Okay, five, okay. So, so my fourth child was expected to be like the rest. And in a matter of seconds, when he was born, we could see that something was wrong. He was born with a birth defect that we did not anticipate, and the birth defect is a result of a condition called spina bifida. And so something that we thought would end one way within a matter of seconds turned into something we could not possibly comprehend. And I remember, this is why I want to share it with you, because I want to prove to you that it works through my own experience. I remember being much younger as a man and as a Christian in those days than I am now and not as wise as I think I might be now. And, and I remember though, as I had to leave my wife behind at the hospital in Jeffersonville so that I could follow an ambulance that carried my newborn baby across the river to the hospital in Louisville. And it was an October night rainy and cold like this. And I remember sitting in my car behind the ambulance on the Kennedy Bridge in Louisville and wipers were going back and forth and I was praying and I was, I was saying, Lord, I think that we're gonna really need your help through this. And I think that Satan is gonna try really hard to use this as an opportunity to break us. 
at a vulnerable moment. And what I want to say to you, Lord, is Satan can go back to wherever he came from. We still trust you. We still give you glory and praise. And we will not let him have the last word in this situation. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which you'd have to know that at that time, the house we were living in had a little window in the front door and I had printed on a dot matrix printer that very verse and stuck it in that window because I wanted everybody who came to my door to see it, including me. And you know what? It was a rough month or so, which, which was, after a really rough 24 hours or so. But you know what? We're still here praising God. Praising God in the midst of the most frightening things, the most difficult things, I assure you from my own experience, will bring you a certain relief in your spirit that you cannot imagine. And you will see God at work even if your circumstances don't appear to be any better. This is why Paul exhorts us in Philippians to rejoice always. Then he says that we should exercise spirit-given reasonableness. That's an interesting word. It translates to something that would mean more like gentleness. Some passages say gentleness in some translations of the Bible. What I would call it is assume a divine perspective. As much as a human can do so, with the help of the Holy Spirit, assume a divine perspective. It is my goal as a pastor and has been and will be till the end of my days to help as many people as I can to develop a biblical Christian worldview, which sounds like something sort of sociological, but what I'm really talking about is gentleness, self-control, discipline, reasonableness. In other words, look at each other and look at your circumstances through the eyes of God. And he's given that to you. He put it in you when you were born again. When you received the Holy Spirit, you got new lenses in your eyes. I remember when my dad had his cataracts removed years ago. He said, you know, they told me to be ready for all sorts of side effects, but the one thing they didn't tell me to expect was to get older overnight. Of course, he was dying for me to say, but dad, why? And my dad said, well, all I know is when I looked in the mirror before I got the cataracts out, I saw a younger man. And after I got him out, I saw a much older man. Think about it. That was my dad's sense of humor. Sometimes we don't realize how blind we've been until the blinders come off. Just like in the Apostle Paul's circumstances, in a literal sense it happened to him, but in a less literal sense it happens to you when you're born again. You begin to see the world through the Spirit's eyes. And if you will allow that to happen, you will become more adept over time at seeing through spiritual lenses. 
I see a lot of Christian believers not acting reasonably these days. I don't know about you. And I wonder if anxiety has brought out the worst in these people, if, if they've forgotten the first thing we'd heard, which was to rejoice in all circumstances so that they have become anxious in all circumstances and their anxiety and fear has led them to be unreasonable and not very gentle. The Apostle Paul's remedy, you know, for this is found in verse 6b. He says, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving is guaranteed to put you in the right frame of mind again. And what is prayer and supplication? Well, talk to God and start with, I'm not God. Supplication acknowledges that you're talking to the supreme being and it ain't you. The apostle wants you to understand that when you admit that you are not the center of all things, that you are not the most important opinion in the room, let alone in God's realm. And then you give thanks because he loves you anyway. You give thanks because he provides for you in so many ways that go unacknowledged or at least under-acknowledged. Are you looking for fast, fast relief? That's an old advertising campaign and Paul will tell you that the sign of your relief of this anxiety as you begin to experience peace first with God. We talked about this in a deeper and, and harder way last week when we said it was about repentance but the truth is is that while we may have repented to the extent that we have been saved by God's grace and renewed, reborn in the Holy Spirit. In this case, even as Christian believers, we have to occasionally repent, repent of our anxiety, of the absence of rejoicing and praising in our days. This is why Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in any of these that is worthy of praise, then think about these things. You will not find such things to think about on Fox or CNN or scrolling through your phone, looking at headlines, you will not find worthy things to think about there. I'm sorry, but I'm sure this is true. You will not find it reading extremist blogs or watching videos by hotheads. You will not find it there. These are not honorable and wonderful things, and they certainly are unbecoming of true believers and followers of Christ. Because, refer to everything we've already talked about up to this point. This is the Apostle Paul's formula for keeping your head in the right game. If you want to focus on the truth, you've got to go to the only source of truth there is. 
Is there anybody else around here who has been so sick and tired over the last year and a half or so of not knowing who to believe about anything? Huh? I am so worn out from this stupid COVID world that we live in, not because we got hammered by a virus, but because of all the nonsense that's been going around as a result of it. So there's this virus and it looks like we need to deal with it responsibly. Beyond that, I don't know what to believe. Do you? Who do you believe? And I beg your pardon if I offend you, but I want you to know that if you refer to what I just said a minute ago, you realize that I'm not suggesting that the truth lies in an extremely conservative blog post, news source, or opinion you read on Facebook or TikTok. Any more than that truth can be found in an extremely liberal point of view news source or something online. It isn't about liberals and conservatives, it's about truth. There's only one source of truth. The rest is just different degrees of lies. Some lies are just people who are misinformed passing on their misinformation. Some lies are diabolical and meant to confuse and conflict and create disharmony and discord and evil. But at the end of the day, reasonableness informs us to take it all into account and then ask the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see the truth. And where we cannot know for sure what the truth is, to walk by faith, right? To walk by faith, to step toward the voice of the one who knows your true name and nature. This is why the Apostle Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ is, as Paul has told us in this letter, able to meet all of our needs. But here's something important that you need to know. During this era of supply chain shortages, you need to realize that Jesus's inventory is somewhat limited too. What? Did he just say that the Son of God has a limited inventory? Well, yes and no. He has access to everything and anything that counts as the riches of the Heavenly Father. Paul tells us elsewhere that we are entitled to those same riches. So we have, through Christ, access to God's entire inventory. But what we've got to recognize is that there are certain things that God doesn't keep in stock. You can't get it there. It would be a little bit like going to the hardware store and trying to buy eggs. You see what I'm saying? The idea that I want you to take away from this is that God has every intention through Christ of meeting all of your needs, but don't expect God to give you something God doesn't deal in. And there's where we get into trouble, you see. We have a tendency to think that whatever we ask for in Jesus' name, we should get. 
But that's not really taking it as far as it goes. I don't want to say God doesn't care about those other needs. God just says, I'm not in the business of feeding your flesh. I'm in the business of feeding your eternal soul. And so when you seek God's plenty in your time of need, praise him and rejoice in that he will meet the need that is eternal in nature, whatever that is, so that it may not necessarily preserve your life or preserve your contentment and happiness in the flesh. You may lose things. You may lose aspects of your physical well-being. You may lose loved ones. In fact, if you live long enough, it's inevitable. You may lose money and property and prestige and, and the accolades of other people that you used to want to impress. You can lose all of those things, but God guarantees you, you cannot lose that that which you could not have possessed without his help in the first place. In other words, your eternity is secure and the needs of your soul are guaranteed to be met. And it is in that that you rejoice. It is those praises in which you find God inhabiting. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer, often thought to be the Apostle Paul, says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He is the one who saved you. He personally saved you. He personally saved me. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand that this is both global and highly personal in nature. And therefore, when you praise and give glory to God, when you rejoice even under the most difficult of circumstances, it is because God, the Creator, has taken a personal interest in you. And his son, who reigns on high, who is the very imprint of the image of God, made himself like you in order that you could be made like him for all eternity. Keep that in mind when your flesh is weak battered and bruised when your spirit is willing but your flesh is letting you down try just once when you're angry disillusioned sad grieving frustrated hopeless 
lacking zeal, enthusiasm, and exuberance, when, when you're feeling totally drained, try in, that, in the middle of those circumstances to say, nevertheless, Lord, you are God, I am not. Whatever you will is still better for me than anything I can do on my own. Lord, I'm sorry that I forget this. You are glorious. You are wonderful. I praise you, Lord, with all my heart, and I give your name glory because I just can't help it. Try. And watch what happens. Your prayer will start to pick up momentum. You'll find yourself getting more energized and less frustrated and less sorrowful. And somehow in the moment, you will experience God inhabiting your praise. Don't believe me? Try it. Try it tonight when it's storming and you're a little afraid of the thunder and the lightning. Try it. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you. We praise you. We give you glory because we just can't help it. And Lord, help us in this day to find new strength and vitality in your spirit and not in our flesh. And we ask this because we need it. But more than that, because we want to see you glorified. Amen. Amen.